This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I'd like to welcome a friend of the podcast, PBA Hall of Fame member, winner of 13 tour events, including the major championship at the PBA National, panelist for Fox Sports covering the PBA Tour, Randy Peterson. Randy, it is a pleasure to have you on this podcast finally. What's up, Jay? How was that for an intro? Was that all of the, Was that plenty good for all of the uh, accolades in Hall of Fame and majors? Oh, and yeah. Okay, all right. Absolutely, yeah. I'm like... Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Let's go. Yeah, right, right. Well, we had to throw all the good stuff in on the front end, so, you know. Got to <laughs> let you know, everyone, you know, what you've accomplished out there. It's impressive. <laughs> well, first off, how are you doing? Are you and your family healthy, all that good stuff? And what do you think with the downtime there in Florida? Well, uh, me and my family are doing great since I'm divorced. It's just me. Um, so... Uh, yeah, uh, I'm doing fine. My my kids are healthy. They're they're fine. They're out of work like a lot of other people. So, um, you know, they're they're just hanging in there, and, and we're just you know kind of waiting uh, waiting for the word. Um, luckily for me, the golf course, our club, the private club that we belong to, Orange Tree, is still open, and I have my own private uh, uh, golf cart. So, you know, we're still we're still able to play Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday through Sunday, of course, uh, is closed on Monday for you know maintenance and whatnot. So, um, and then Monday is usually the day that I get all my stuff done um, around the house and um, any other work that I have to have to do. And but yeah, so luckily we're still open. I get still get to play golf if I want. And uh, but other than that, man, just just trying to wait it out and. See when there's uh, when we're going to get this thing lifted so we can go back to work. Any indication when the PBA will be back? Yeah, none. Um, you know, I heard some I heard some rumblings about possibly June, uh, but honestly, uh, nothing concrete right now. the uh, The only scheduled stuff we have is in July, and that would be. Uh, Portland, Maine on Fox, and then CBS Sports Network in Boston right after that. So, Who knows, right? It's, uh, it's a moving target dealing with here. Yeah, so. absolutely. I was also going to ask you, I know you have a new project kind of going out under uh, the website of www.randypeterson.com where you're kind of working with some students. They get to spend some one-on-one time with you to improve their their bowling game. How did that put, um How's it going? How excited are you to kind of get to work with some of these students and, and try to make them better bowlers? Well, I mean, you know, the timing was horrible, obviously, because we came out with this just like probably a month or a couple of weeks prior to the shutdown. But, yeah, it's uh, randypeterson.com, uh, P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N. My last name is spelled different. Um, but um, basically upload videos of your game, and then I – uh, use a, I use an app. I go in and critique, uh, basically do an online lesson, send it back to the end user. Um, they pay a fee for that, and 
Um, basically, it's, uh, it's an instructional uh, website. There's also some stuff on, on the website, um, some lessons that are already on there, pictures that I take from tour events and whatnot and post, and some private interviews that I've done on my own with, uh, with some of the players that, you know, kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. And um, So, yeah, it was going nice, and then all of a sudden we got shut down, and then all the bowling centers closed. Nobody can send me any videos of themselves. And so, you know, just kind of put a damper on things. But um, hopefully uh, it'll ramp up when we get back. When we get back to work, uh, you know, everybody will be kind of chomping at the bit to – uh, to get back to bowling, centers will open, people get back, and then uh, hopefully they'll need some help with their games, and um, it'll uh, you know it'll it'll kind of open up the floodgates for that. Do you get more excited working with beginners or you know higher handicap bowlers, or is it fun for you to work with the really elite trying to get to that next level where they're already really really good and they're trying to get you know? crazy good do you have a sweet spot where you're with that you personally kind of enjoy a little bit more one way or the other or is it kind of across the spectrum um honestly it's like kind of mid mid handicappers and up um the beginning bowlers i'm not great with honestly uh i think my brain sees too much stuff that needs to to uh to happen um and i think that that's a bigger uh obviously a bigger process so it's like all right. Well, let's see. A beginning bowler. You got to start with. You got to start here. Let's start with the basics and start here. Then start there, and then and then you know it's like okay. Well, here here's your first lesson. Let's see where you get to from here, and then here's the next one, and so on and so forth. Whereas, um, you know, the better players they're they're much easier to work with. Um, you've you've got something to work to work with when when you go to that to those instructions, and um, it's much easier to kind of pinpoint um, what areas they need to work on. And um, so, yeah, I, I'd, I'd much rather prefer that mid-range to higher-end player. Before uh, the, the, the pandemic crisis here, the season was really exciting on the PBA Tour. Jason Belmonte, incredible what, what, what he's accomplished. Talk uh, about... Uh, in just kind of in sport in general, some maybe a lot of people who listen to podcast golfers and don't bowling as much as they watch golf. Of explaining the level that Jason is at and the accomplishment of what he's in your game, and, and maybe kind of expand upon that a little bit. Is is he ever that's that's ever laced him up? Well, I'll tell you what, he sure is the best ever in major championship history. Um, the guy's uh, amazing, and, and if you think about the amount of tournaments that he bowls a year, um, you know, given the schedule that we have nowadays, um, he doesn't bowl a lot of tournaments. Um, and he's going to be player of the year again this year. So that would be, that would be what, like five out of the last six years. Um, that's, that's, I think that says it all there. Um, he's, um, I, I said it before when he's firing on all cylinders, he's so much better than everybody else. Um, you know, he's, he's our Tiger Woods. There's no doubt about it. Um, the guy's amazing. He, he really is. He's just filthy. And, uh, um, I, I I think the bigger question is like, when's he going to get tired of it? (laughs) When's he going to say, all right, I've had enough. This has been fun guys. I'm going to stay in Oz (laughs) as he calls Australia. And, uh, you guys have fun. 
Yeah, it's uh, to have life, right? Like that is, it's it's crazy of uh, the run he's been on. Do you do you think is it? And this is coming from my question of being level bowler. Is is it is it physically he is he that much better, or is it mental, or is it a combination of both? Like when you say he's the Tiger Woods, you know, Tiger physical skills, but boy, his mind was. He just never made the wrong play at the wrong time. Does Jason have some of those same characteristics? Oh, I think there's no doubt about it. It's a combination of both. You know, he knows how to. This guy knows how to play, and um, uh, and then his physical game. You know, he, he's got probably the second strongest bowling ball on tour, and uh, behind Jesper Stenson, who's a two-handed lefty from Sweden. Um, and, uh, I think, I think it has to be a combination of the two. You know, you could have the greatest swing on the planet, but if you can't plot your way around, um, it, it really doesn't matter, does it? So, you know, that's what makes, what makes Tiger so great. And, uh, I think that's what makes Belmonte so great. Going to ask you guys too. You were the last, if I remember this right, or if I have it right, you were the last live sporting kind of tell us that all of us who love watching sports that was on before the whole thing got shut down. When you were working for Fox and you knew there was going to be, I'm assuming there had to be ratings increase like there was no tomorrow. I mean, it was a major. Belmonte was there. What kind of increase did you guys get viewership in? And was there a little additional pressure on you guys to make sure the broadcast came off seamlessly with, uh, with that many eyeballs? I'm assuming that was on that telecast. Well, I mean, I, you know, there's always pressure on every live telecast for me. I mean, that's what makes it fun. But, uh, you know, there was no Rob Stone. Fox put the kibosh on any of their their um, announcers going out the field. So they flew in Dave Ryan last second. Um, they put a podium down lane. Uh, they they had Norm Duke sit in with us for the show. Um, there was no fans in the stands. I mean, it was uh, it was. I've never done it in 20 years. I've never done a show like that, and it was so surreal. And but but yet, you know, when you're in the booth, you're just calling the action, right? And um, I mean, to watch this dude do what he did once again with his and for the very first time ever having his entire family there watching him win and watching him win another major was, was pretty, it was pretty surreal. I was going to ask you too, um, before we get into some golf talk, but on, on your bowling career, how did, how did you into bowling? And then when did you realize you were good enough that being a professional was a realistic option with the talent? Had? In other words, when did you realize that I can probably compete with the best in the world? Well, you know, back in the day, I was California State Junior Champion. Um, you know, I'd won just about everything you could win in, in Southern California. Um, and so that was, you know, I was too poor and stupid to go to college. So uh, the next uh, progressive or the next uh, progression was to move out onto the PBA Tour. And, you know, and I got my teeth kicked in for about four or five years and then in 1986, I won the very first tournament of the year, and, and that was kind of the, the springboard to my career. But, I mean, it, you know, it was like, it, it's like anything else, any other sport. I mean, you, you know, you start when you're young and you've got some talent. You're winning uh, junior events, and you're winning this and winning that. And then, you, you know, you just you kind of move up the ranks, and that's kind of the, the same way it was for me. 
I always like talking to the guys in the European tour about just from the 80s when they were out there. But when you got on the PBA tour, I'm assuming there had to be some some characters back then. There's got to be some great stories. And uh, the other question up with this is, do, do guys gamble like golfers on the PBA tour to stay sharp when you guys are practicing? Is there the same sort of kind that happens in golf out there and uh, when you're playing professional bowling? Um, yeah, so... Uh, in terms of the characters, I mean, I, I grew up with Pete Weber. I mean, Pete Weber's first year was the year before mine, and um, he was uh, Rookie of the Year the year before me, and then his ex-tour roommate, Mark Fahey, was uh, Rookie of the Year the following year, and those two roomed together. Uh, Fahey was an ex-Golden Glove boxer from Chicago. Uh, the guy was an animal. Um and I can, yeah, I, can I mean, where this is going. there was there was some gambling on and off the lanes. I mean, uh, you know, as a kid, you, you know, you don't you, when you're not really introduced to that kind of stuff, and then you get on on tour, and all of a sudden you're kind of thrown into this mix of um, <laughs> of all the stuff that grownups are going through. And the last thing I, I I remembered was the last time I had gambled. Uh, we had a guy on tour that that will remain anonymous that was booking, and I remember laying out six hundred bucks in a hotel room bed after betting on football for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. Uh, this isn't working out well for me. So, uh, but yeah, we had our own bookies. We had, uh, you know, we had uh, we had we had our own characters that did anything and everything they could to scratch a buck. Um, you know, as, as everybody pretty much knows, the PBA tour wasn't and still isn't all that lucrative. I mean, nowadays, you know, the, the top players in the world are making, they're, they're, you know, they're making some good scratch. But, you know, back in the early 80s, I mean, you, you did whatever you had to. I mean, you bowled extra pro-ams to make an extra 50 bucks and um, for the week, and you did whatever you had to do to scratch out a couple extra bucks because uh, there wasn't a whole lot of money to be made back then. And I'm sure there had to be a few nights late at the bar. And like like I said, the stories from the European tour guys all have that sort of – it had a circus, I'm picturing it, if ahead of a little bit of it, right? Like the circus is coming to town. Oh, God, there's been uh, – yeah, there's been numerous liver transplants since the, the early 80s. <laughs> and um, Yeah, and yeah, there, there was plenty of uh, – back in the day, there was plenty of Bud Light drank and, uh, and everything else, and it's like – um, it's like the a-holes, uh, fracking fluid, uh, plenty of that, you know, was consumed. Um, we used to call that, uh, Jägermeister that the a-holes, uh, fracking fluid, because that's what happened. As soon as you drank that, you became an instant a-hole. So I can, <laughs> can only imagine, um, I'm going to ask you two major championships, uh, back to the seriousness of professional bowling. Did you take you, you won a major championship? Did you take majors that week? Was there kind of like you hear golfers talking about how they try to peak for a major? Did the pressure feel a whole lot different? Or once you got into tournament mode, it's just like another tournament. And you have to treat it that way. How did you sort of look at majors? And then what is that feeling like? Accomplish something like that where you you know you win at the highest level at your sport and you prove that week you're the best in the world at it. It's got to be one of the feeling. Yeah, no, I mean it is. I, you know, for me, the the since I didn't win, but one major, you know, the majors were 
were for me just like another tournament. Uh, the, the difference was that you know the format was different. There was more games, more time involved, um, and just a longer week, a bigger grind. Um, but for me, it was like, yeah, it's 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 another tournament. Now, I, you know, it's like I made several shows at the tournament champions. And I never really looked at it like, okay, if I win today, I win another major. I was always it's just winning the tournament. And, um, you know, back in the day, we, we had two types of formats. We bowled 42 games for the week to get to television, or we bowled 56 games for the week to get to television. And that's not including pro-ams of practice. And that's, you know, we were geared and um, trained to bowl that many games in a, in a, in less than a week. So, um, for me, it was like, okay, it's, uh, this is the national championship. I got to bowl this many games today instead of the normal, uh, our regular format. And it's just going to be longer and you got to stay more patient. And I mean, at the end of the day, the objective was always the same, you know, it was to get to the show and try to win. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I never, I never went into a major more jacked than a regular event. And, and I know that that probably doesn't sit well with a lot of folks, but every event that I entered, my goal was always the same and that was to win the tournament. So I don't know, I don't know why. I would put more emphasis on a major than I would a regular event because that would mean that the other events really didn't matter. And all I wanted to do was win a major. You know what I'm saying? That's why I think it's an interesting question of how some people view it one way or the other, right? You get some tour players that, you know, they absolutely, you know, they try, you know, majors are what Tiger kind of focuses on. Other times you have players that, Hey, if I'm pegging it, it's as the most important you know, time is right in front of me right now, and I'm trying to win. Right, win the I John mean, Deere Classic doesn't matter. They're there to win. They're not there to screw around. So w no is a difference. W, right? Yeah, I mean, a win's a win. Well, then the second part: when, does it hit you later when when you do win a major? I mean, the respect from the other players does it take a little bit of what you have accomplished? So you get through that gauntlet, you got the trophy. Is that one of those things where I've talked to like Mark Halkovecki on this, and he's like, like the next day it sort of hit him what he's accomplished. Is that sort of the feeling that you had too? Does it take a little bit to sink in that, you know, you've accomplished really something special? Well, I mean, I think at the end of the, at the end of your career, it's always nice to look back and reflect on and say, well, I won this many times and this many majors. I think during your career, you don't really look at it that way. I think you, again, you look at it like, all right, well, every outing I, I'm trying to win. And, and, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, uh, you know, again, it's all about going out and trying to win each and every week. And, and, um, but at, at, on, on the other side, it's nice to look back and go, well, I won this many times and this many majors. That was, it was a nice run. Um, I think major, major championship wins also define a career, uh, because most everyone in our sport and in golf define the greats with how how many majors they won. And so I think that's why they're talking about Bill Monty now as possibly the greatest of all time because he has 12 major wins and the next uh, two guys closest to him only have 10, and that was Earl and Weber. 
uh, Pete Weber. And so now, you know, here's Jason Belmonte at age 36 with 12 majors. He's done it all in 10 years. He's made, oh, God, I think it's like uh, he's bowled, I think, 56 majors in his in his career, and he's made the show 29 times. As he um, you know, he's made, so he's made the show in more than half of the major championships he's bowled, which means he had a chance to win, to win the title, uh, in almost 30 of those events. I think he's finished in the top 10 in 75% of those events. Um, so, you know, his major championship resume is unmatched. And I think that at the end of the day, when you look back at his career, um, when so many careers are defined by major championship wins, I think that's why all of a sudden he's in the discussion for greatest of all time. Now, with that being said, when you when you do bring that up, you know, the first thing out of most people's mouths are, well, two different eras, you know, or three different eras, Earl, Walter, Ray, and him. So it's a lot of argument. There's a lot of argument there and a lot of room for argument, but at the end of the day, he's the winningest player in major championship history. And I think uh, when you look at golf, they talk about uh, Tiger and Jack, and um, Jack's got more major victories than Tiger does, yet Tiger is tied with uh, the all-time wins in PGA championship history. So, and I think Tiger's only, uh, is he three or four back of majors from Jack? He would be three back. He's at 15, Jack's okay. at 18. Is All right, he... so he's three back from Jack in majors, but he is tied for all time, on the all-time win list. With Snead. So now right? what, where's, that, you know, where's that argument? Is Tiger the greatest? Is Jack the greatest? Or are they going to flip it and go, well, two different eras? My gut is because of such, for back to the golf question, and I'm with you on the importance of majors, and I think bowls going that way, like you're saying as well, but you asked people in the business, Jack or Tiger right now, they'd still give a slight edge to because of the importance of majors. There you go. They're right. So it's, it, bowling and I think golf are very, very much the same. I don't know if bowling's always been like, but... Uh, you know, it's always been like that. I don't think majors were important as important as they were in the T sixty as they are now, right? Like, and it's a uh, well, they always said, on our tour. They always said that uh, that majors counted like a like uh, for the year. They they would count for a win and a half. So if you won one major and two other tournaments, you won three and a half events that year. And if another guy only won three tournaments, then that player that won the major and the other two events would have an edge in the player of the year voting. I think that's flipped around now. I'd have to imagine on the golf side, right? Majors are, if you have one major one day, one four times or five times their regular tour events, I think, well, that's a tough one, but I think the nod's probably going to the guy with a major and another win, on, on golf yeah. side at least. It, it's an interesting argument. I've had Sean McKeel on, right? He's, and he's got one win on tour, but a major. And then the question always is, how many wins would you trade for one major? I always think it's a steam debate from a golf standpoint. Is it six? Right. Is it five? Is it seven? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, boy, 
golf's majors are. I don't know if I'm, if I'm Sean McKeel, I don't think I'd trade my major for five wins. I think right. I'd want. I think I'd want that Wanamaker on my, on my shelf. Yeah, I, I think yes, and he's probably more than content with the major. I would, yeah, and we've actually, he, he, like, we've talked on the podcast of which, you know, he doesn't know what that would be, but, you know, Meyer could take the major, right? Like, you're a part of history. Yeah, like, yeah I, think, exactly. I think so, too. Well, let's talk a little bit of golf. So, bowling and golf kind of go hand-in-hand, right? Like, there's a lot of golfers bowling, a lot of bowlers who golf, especially, like, in the Midwest or where the weather's not great out east. Like, it's always kind of been a back-and-forth sport. So, kind of kind of go hand-in-hand together. So, I'm surprised. You also have a huge passion for golf, but how did you kind of get started in golf, and when did golf take over? Not that you know you always have passion for bowling, but another sport that you're as passionate about almost as what you did in your bowling career. I know how much you love to play, and how'd that come about? Oh, I started chopping it around when I was about 21 or two, um, and um, yeah, it was just uh, the passion for golf was instantaneous, and then. Um, as the game progressed, uh, figuring out how many similarities there were with golf and bowling. And I remember when playing on tour with, the the other touring players, how one of the, one of the, the main comments were, oh my gosh, his golf swing looks so much like his bowling swing. And it was more of a kind of a tempo rhythm kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. you never saw a, a PBA player with a long, smooth, rhythmic swing in a short, choppy golf swing. You know, the, 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 it was like the swings kind of mirrored one another, even though they were two different sports. And so, you know, I just I, I continued to play and got better and better and better by just playing and then get, really got into the equipment side of it. And, um you know, just just continued to kind of basically just played a lot of golf and then um, moved to Orlando, joined a private club where there's nothing but aspiring professional golfers and uh, Corn Ferry Tour players and PGA Tour players and LPG to, LPGA Tour players and, um, and, and just uh, playing a course that is so demanding – and then that forced you to to play better, or you know, you just you might as well um, go join the the Muni. And uh, um, that plus my my love of equipment um, and understanding um, how the importance of having equipment that actually fits uh, each individual um, just kind of furthers everything that I do in golf. And you know, I, I mean. You know, obviously bowling is my life, golf's my passion, but um, there's so many similarities with the two. Did you get pretty good pretty quick? Because I have to imagine you have, you know how to move your body. You have to have a good hand-eye coordination. Did that, a lot of people who start, did the skill set get pretty, was that transition 22-year-old starting to play down to, I know you still played about a zero. Is it, was that pretty quick, that pretty close to scratch? No, it took a lot. It actually took a while. Um, and partly because, you know, when I first picked up golf, I was a full-time player on the PBA tour. So it wasn't like I was playing a lot of golf. Um, it was kind of just 
whenever I could uh, because I was actually um, bowling pretty well. So that, that took up 90% of my time. And then it was like, oh, every once in a while, let's go play golf. And then, um, but it wasn't until I got into my, into my thirties and moved to Florida when I really started to play a lot of golf and, uh, you know, with all the golf courses we have in Florida, um, that, that's when I really started to play a lot. And that, that's when I started to, to, to take it serious and take lessons. And, uh, I remember I had an instructor back in the day by the name of Mark Wood, who, uh, uh, who's Dudley Hart's, uh, uh, he's actually related to du- Dudley Hart. He's married to Dudley Hart's sister. And I'm trying to think of the, of the, the, the XPJ or the, the guy that used to be on the PJ tour that Mark Wood, uh, coached. Uh, it'll come to me here in a second, but Mark Wood was my, uh, instructor at back in, uh, Fort Lauderdale when he used to run blockbuster golf, which was owned by Wayne Heisinger. Um, and, and, uh, they used to, they used to teach over at the old, uh, Rolling Hills course, which was the course that they filmed Caddyshack at. So <laughs> there's some pretty interesting stories. Yeah. Small uh, world. That, right. So, uh, Wayne Heisinger came in and he bought Rolling Hills and turned it into this magnificent private club, um, back years ago and um so it went from caddyshack to rolling uh, to uh grand oaks and uh and mark wood and, and his people they had the training facility up front and so mark was my uh like probably my first real coach my first real swing coach and then i left fort lauderdale and moved up north to orlando but continued on and then joined the private club and and that's kind of you know that's kind of the short version of the golf story, but, um, after I couldn't compete anymore on the PBA tour for a number of reasons. Uh, and then, you know, I had a, a short stint on the, uh, PBA 50 tour. Um, but due to knee surgeries and bad knees, I was unable to compete. So I really started diving into to the golf and really working on my game. And at age, probably age 53 or four, um, you know, really kind of focused just on that. Uh, my job was full-time television and studying the greatest bowlers in the world. And then when I wasn't doing that, I was playing golf. I was working for storm. And then when I wasn't working for them, I'm playing golf. So, um, you know, storm is, uh, for your list, for your, uh, listeners, number one bowling ball manufacturer in the world out of, uh, Salt Lake City or out of uh, Brigham city, Utah. And I've been with them for 20 years. So um, it, it's, you know, it, it's, uh, again, you know, the crossover is, is very similar. It's, it's very easy to go from one to the other. I think uh, there's a lot of really good bowlers that are really good golfers and vice versa. I know Cal Quebecia, uh PGA Tour winner and major championship winner is a hell of a bowler. Um, we've talked a lot about bowling. We follow each other. We've got con- our contact information and, I know that when, uh, you know, Cal goes bowling, he's using storm equipment. And, um, you know, we talk a little bit of bowling every now and then and a little bit of golf every now and then. And um, so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a pretty seamless crossover with the two sports. Who's some of the other uh, PGA Tour players from uh, 
the Orange Tree down to be friendly with and, and how much do you enjoy competing against them and sort of money game and, and have you noticed that you're pretty good under the gun because you do know how to deal with pressure. You've dealt with it on the bowling side. Is, does that trans, does that transition in golf as well where you can kind of control the nerves and you've been in these moments and you're still competing, but it's a little bit different, but you've been there before per se. Oh, absolutely. And they all know it. And so that's why, you know, I make a, a pressure putt. None of them are surprised. They're like, he's a Hall of Famer. You know, that's all I hear. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Robert Gomez is a big name that we have out there. Uh, Bubba Watson was a member out there for a while. Um, Jim Renner, who finished second at Pebble Beach a couple years back. Andy Pope, who's made the cut at the U.S. Open like the last three out of four years. He's on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, we've got Christina Kim that I just, who I just played with today. Um, uh, let's see the, uh, uh, oh God, uh, uh, Perrin. I can't remember her last name. Perrin. Oh Lord. She just finished third at the Australian open, uh, like what, two months ago. Um, she's a member out there. Oh gosh. Amy Yang. Um, there's just a slew of them. So, um, you know, we have money games Tuesday through Sunday. So we had a big money game today. Um, I got paired up with, uh, with two other guys. We actually won the back, uh, but played with Christina Kim. And, you know, it's just, it's like, it's like I, some guy, you know, it's, it's funny how a regular Joe playing with Christina Kim, they, you know, they're, they're all of a sudden, their underwear is so far up their ass they can't swing, whereas I love it. I mean, I'm just like, man, I love watching good golf, and I want to show her that I can hit it a little bit. You know what I mean? It's it's just it's awesome. So, again, I think that's just that, that you know, that, that player's mentality. How many did she have to give you each side? Let's go square. She doesn't give me any because we weren't playing against each other per se. Now, she had a partner that we played a little doubles match, but, but we had 15 players – they were playing in this in in this one game, so we had three fives that went off, and then within our fives, some her and this other guy played me and my buddy. Um, we played him. We played him straight up, and no we lost. We lost the press on the. We lost the press on the front. We lost one bet on the back, and so we lost the press on the front, bet on the back, and the all day. But Christina had five birdies for seventy, and I had two birdies for seventy four. And my buddy had two birdies for, or excuse me, three birdies for 75. So, um, yeah, we ended up losing out. Her partner, her partner, uh, crapped the bed. And if it wasn't for her, they would have lost. So it was all her. And so we just played, we just, we just played a best ball, uh, 10, 10, 10. And, um, but, you know, again, it's not the money, right? It's, it's just grinding against a professional golfer. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? Yeah, no, it's exactly that's that that's who wouldn't want. I mean, if you love golf, you challenge, right? I would love that challenge. Absolutely. Of, like, let's go do it, you know, and let's see how you stack and how good does your game hold up. And it's like you said, I agree with you. Watching prof- professionals, if it's if it's women or men golfers, and they're they're so good, they make it look so easy. I always actually play better. Uh, around kind of better players, you can get the rhythm from it a little bit. I love watching really good golf up. I think it actually yeah. helps. You know, you just sort of can see what they do, and and 
I don't know, to me it's sort of a effect to sort of watch somebody play that well. I think it kind of rubs off on tempo and mimicking it, right? You're trying to mimic yep. the best in the world, how they do it. So that's so cool you get to play. I've had Robert on the podcast as well and talked to him a few times uh, outside of He's a really good guy, and or he can he can still play pretty damn uh I'm sure every now and then there's a 64 or 65 he lights it up with with uh, Gomez down Gomez there as well. Gomez got game, sure. Absolutely. You know, you know, he's not in the PGA Tour for 20 years like, you know, not be able to get the uh the ball in the hole when it needs to be. Right. Um exactly. what, what 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 young players on the PGA Tour do you like following and and what do you kind of like those guys and if you got to be friends with any of those guys as well of the younger generation is there any uh, as a as an athlete, do you kind of like watching these other guys from afar? I like the way that kid rolls, or I can see where this player is going to be really good for an extended period of time. Did you say PBA Tour or PGA P- Tour? PGA Tour. As, right, as a PGA Tour, do you kind I mean, of watch I, I, him? Like, honestly, I like that kid. Honestly, I like one guy. I mean, I, I, I appreciate so many swings and talents and whatnot on the PGA Tour, but I, I'm, really, I'm really a one-guy I'm a, I'm a one guy fan, and that's Rory McIlroy, and for a number of reasons. One, because uh, obviously his physical talent, but two, and mo- most importantly, the way he carries himself and what he does outside of golf, and what he does for charity, and what he does for children, and um, the way he carries himself, I think is just truly amazing. I, I think he's the classiest dude out there. Um, and so if if I were to be given the golden ticket and I could go inside the ropes and follow one guy for one round, it would be Rory McIlroy. It's hard not to like his game. He's a really good guy outside of the golf side of it, too, as great as he is. He's supposed to be a really good human being. So I've heard the same things that uh, he's act, you know, 24-7. God, wouldn't surprise me any. That golf swing, man. I don't know if anyone in the world drives the ball any better. It's uh, something to behold. I was going to also ask you, too, on the golf coverage, and I'd love your take on this. And there's been a controversy this year on CBS and DL3 is not bringing it to the table like people thought, and NBC is not as strong without Johnny. If, if, If you could change anything in the way golf is broadcasted as a somebody in television, is there any couple, two or three things that, you would try to improve upon for the for the watching it at home uh, from your perspective. Oh God! I mean, I I thought that it was uh, a mistake for CBS to get rid of uh, Bob Costas and uh, um, what's his name? McCord. Uh, mustache. Uh, McCord. Uh, McCord. Yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't understand that for the life of me. Uh, those are my two favorite announcers on there. Faraday's good. Um, and I like his twist and his fun. Um, I, I just think that golf is just, you know, it's just such a serious sport, uh, or at least made out to be that way all the time. But then again, look at the money that they're playing for. I mean, look at what's at stake. So how could you not? Um, but yet then you have the Phoenix Open, where it's a gigantic party, and then look at how the players react to that. You know what I mean? It's like, see, look how much fun they're having. <laughs> Excuse me. Because the environment is completely different, right? So um, I, I think that a friend of mine said it best a long time ago. He said golf is a little pompous in that, you know, it's a little hoity-toity. 
um, because of so many factors. But I mean, you look at the month. There's so much risk. There's so much. There's so much uh, at stake that it's kind of hard not not to be that way. So, could you imagine if 90% of the golf events were like the Phoenix Open? Well, do you think it would Phoenix Open? But do you think that would take away from the Phoenix Open? Or do you think more of them should just be like the Phoenix Open? We oh, have no, I mean, I, I, I think that it would make golf more fun to watch. I think it would make – it would be more fun for the players. I think it would be – yeah, I think it would be a lot more fun. But, again, now, now you're messing with tradition and uh, kind of going against the grain and, you know, the purists would hate it. Just like, you know, when Rob Stone came on board on our sport and started calling the four-bagger or four strikes in a row, which is called a four-bagger, he started calling that a hand bone. And, oh, my God, what a firestorm he started with that. And then turns out half the fans love it and half the fans hate it, but they all talk about it. So he was brilliant in, uh, he was brilliant in coming up with that and starting that, that conversation. Um, I just think that I, – I mean, you know what, honestly, honestly, I don't think golf needs a whole lot of help because they have so much corporate – uh, sponsorship behind the sport that who cares as long as the, as long as the sponsors don't go anywhere you know it, once the sponsors start worrying about the ratings then you have a problem but the sponsors could give two craps about the rating because they'd rather be affiliated with the PGA tour and professional golf than they than than they would P, the PBA tour or, or ratings they don't care no, I, I I with you from that standpoint that they the the companies are for the most part getting out of it what they need to get out of it. I I would like to see I liked like Ben Wright when he was some guys with or who are a little off or characters per se or might say something half crazy. Uh, you know, not right. online, but like all the same pedigree of their background, and I I kind of liked it when they had you know uh, different kind of people in there. I thought like. It, I know, like in the tower, they always have to have a like a Azinger or a Feldo. I think like Brando Chambly would be great in the tower. Now I know he would be crucified <laughs> because that one a major, a, right? That dude's got a bullseye on his back, right? But wouldn't it be great to see what does he say on Sunday afternoon? Well, It'd be you interesting. know, it's like, it's like the networks love Johnny Miller because Johnny Miller would would say things that nobody else would say, but correct. You know, some of the stuff that he said was was a bit outlandish. I mean, he basically said that every every putt, every twenty foot putt a guy had was an easy putt. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, bro. You know, and then when the player missed it, you know, Johnny was right there to jump on top of that player. And so, so the networks and everybody loved Johnny because he wasn't afraid to bash any of the players. Well, right. um, I think that there is a right and wrong way to go about doing that, and. It seemed I was never a Johnny Miller fan, and uh, it just seemed to me that he waited for an opportunity to tell you that that shot sucked. He couldn't wait for that, right? Whereas for me, if a player throws a bad shot, I'm going to be the first one to tell you that. I'm not going to sugarcoat it or, or try to, to, to make something out of that shot that it wasn't. But, you know, I think instead of going, oh, my God, that was freaking horrible – you know, you say, hey, listen, that wasn't his best. And he'll be the first to tell you that. But it seemed to me that Johnny always waited for that uh, an opportunity to rip on a guy. And that's what I didn't like about Johnny Miller. 
I like the Ben Wright. The Ben Wright was fun. I like Gary McCord. He's fun. Uh, Brandel Chambly, he's kind of that same guy that, you know, he's looking for that end to rip people. Uh, he ripped Tiger. He ripped, what was this, this latest that he, can't, that he had to apologize for? Oh, that was the PGA America teaching philosophy. And then he had to, he, he's already <laughs> yeah, somebody all the time, it, right? Right, the Bro- teachers. Right. Yeah. Brooks Kepka um, has had it for, I mean, right, he's had it basically with everybody. But, right. You know, but half the people love him, but half hate him, but they watch him. It's like the yeah. Howard Stern he, thing, right? So you know, they all need a little shot like that in the arm on the broadcast or hate them, right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, like I like, I love listening to Jim Nance. I think Jim Nance is great. Uh, the NBC broadcast with Hicks. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan. Um, but, you know, it, it, I, I love listening to, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to Jim and uh, love his, his his intro, hello friends, and uh, just listening to him calling the masters year in year out. But again, this takes me back to to uh, my buddy saying how pompous the sport is. You got Gary McCord, who at one Masters said the greens were bikini waxed, and that's why they're so fast. And then the Masters banned him from future telecasts. I think for life. Right? I mean, it was just done for for life. From from doing master shows, I'm like, okay, you couldn't take him to the side after that broadcast and say, hey, listen, bro, we 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 like to kind of keep it a little bit more uh, <laughs> on the religious level for this event. Would you mind just just you know cutting it? No, instead they ban him for life. Come on, bro. Yeah, it's golf is it's an. Or like then you watch like I just had a Tony Johnstone on from the European to Sky Sports. Like theirs is very like subdued almost, which I, they just golf kind of talk and then they'll you know they got voices with the English accent. They'll put something in there, you know. And I, I actually like watching that too, like because they don't overdo it. It's just sort of like you're kind of watching two three guys doing the broadcast who really know golf, putting in their little comments every now and then between tea. I actually kind of like the subtlety of the, how they do it. It's different. It's a different vibe. But I think those guys yeah. have a unique way of, or maybe it's just starting off your day already morning and putting the European tour on and hearing Lawrence's voice kind of coming over. Yeah. You know, like they have a different way of doing it too. I don't know. I think there's going to be, I think eventually there's going to be changes. Do you get like a Colt Nost in hell, you know, when he played the tour, but he'd be kind of like a younger Gary McCord, you know, kind of half crazy and everyone loved him. A great guy. Yeah. You know, do they, does it go kind of that direction? See, too, as a follow-up, when you're when you criticized a player and you have to do it with class, today, have you ever had anybody get afterwards? Then you have to say, "Look, I just have to call it like I see it." And or do the players understand you have a job to do and it's nothing personal? I, I've never had a player say anything to me. I had a wife call me once. <laughs> oh God, that would be yeah. worse. Because I called because I said her husband was one-dimensional. Oh boy. Yeah. So this. So, so this fruitcake decides to call me um, the day after, and I'm like, "What?" And then I I said, "Well, he is." And then she started doing the backpedal, and I, and I, you know, one of the things that I learned a long time ago when I first started doing broadcasting is as long as you speak the truth, not, there's nothing anybody can say or do. And this guy was one dimensional, you know, and this is kind of in the beginning of where. Players were starting to learn how to go straight when they needed to go straight, and they could hook the lane when they they had to hook the lane, and 
you know, in golf, it's like shaping it both ways, right? And right. this guy only did one thing. He stood left, threw it two miles an hour to the right, and hooked the entire lane. And I said, on television, I said, well, he's one-dimensional. He's doing what he likes to do best. And she took offense to that. And I told her, I said, uh, tell me what I said wasn't the truth, and, I'll, and I'll, make, I'll make it good or I'll apologize for it. And she, yeah, no, Bob, and I said, don't ever call me again. So yeah, like, yeah, you got a job to do. And like I said, if you do it the right way, and you still have a with those players, I'm assuming. I always thought it would be one of those things where they realize, look, this we're in a big sport competing for some good money against, and you know, this is just a part of it. Congratulations. Don't take it personally like it is. Uh, right. You're going to get on that stage in front of millions of people and be on television well. You're going to get the glory, and then sometimes you're all. If you're not performing well, you're going to hear it, and that's just going to be a part of the deal. Interesting, um, you know how the how the players or relationship kind of happen with that from somebody who's on the other side of it. I always find it an interesting kind of back and forth of a guy's describing their relationship with player on the PGA Tour, what you do with the bowlers. But it's always interesting. I got a couple more for you, and I'll get you out of dodge here. Uh, these are kind of quick hitters, so. First, okay. I have to ask, what is the better bowling movie, Kingpin or the Bisky? Oh, Kingpin, because I'm in Kingpin and not, I'm not in the Big Lebowski. So, so what? Uh, who did you did yourself in Kingpin? I've seen Kingpin multitudes. Yeah, time, multitudes. I actually lost to Bill Murray in the semifinals. Did you get to spend time with? Him? Uh, hung out a little bit with him and Woody. Uh, not a lot of time. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say a lot of time. No. But you you lost to the Big Earn. That's correct. I lost to Bigger and McCracken, yeah. Yeah. It is a great flick, though. Lebowski's <laughs> pretty good, too. But since you are, all right, we'll, yeah. we'll let that one go. Uh, Love it. Best, or the, or the the best three golf courses you've played in your life, architecturally, or the club, whole atmosphere, what, what was the two or three best, and what did you love about those courses, you know, the most that makes them stand out in your mind? Uh, all right, so not, not in, in any order, but best three probably uh, Pebble, which would include Spyglass, um, Firestone, and, uh, uh, oh, God, uh, not the one in Kohler, uh, Whistling Straits. How hard was Firestone? Is it just a brute? Well, you know, it's interesting is that we played Firestone South, and we played it like one set of tees up. And this was like the year that Olafal shot 62 with a wooden driver. And we looked back at the back tees and we're like, he shot 62 from there. Is that the year he won by like and 12 or something nuts? What's that? Is that the year he won by like 12 or 15 or something insane? Yeah, I mean, it was something crazy. He shot yeah. 62 yeah. in a round. I don't know if it was the final round, but. And you just kind of look and you go, yeah, uh, there's no way that I could ever, ever, ever do that. And, and you know, n not to mention the length, but Firestone's narrow. You know, every hole's tree lined and you got to hit straight. And, um, and he shot 62 on a par 70 course that I think at the time was a par 70 at 72 or 7,300 yards. And he's hitting a persimmon driver. Yeah, and a ball that didn't go anywhere. Yeah. 62. Right. Thanks for coming, Ollie. So like, if you smoke it off the tee, you hit a 270, right? Right. Well. And this guy shoots 62 from back there. It's just nuts. In his prime, that man could play some golf. 
uh, uh yeah, no doubt about it. He was a hell of a player. Last one I got. What golf courses are on your wish list that you're hoping to get out and play? That you know, think, if you think it might be achievable, if you had another two or three, okay, this one's on the bucket list. I got to go do it at some point in time. Which ones are sitting out there for you? I think that uh, they're all in like one country, only because I've never been there. I've never played golf, but I, I would say, you know, going to Scotland and and uh, um, and playing a couple of, of the British Open uh, rotation courses would be pretty cool. Um, you know, obviously St. Andrews is bucket list, and then Carnoustie. There's also a course that a lot of people have never heard of that's not in the rotation called King's Barns or King's Barn, which is right on the ocean. They call it the uh, the Scottish Pebble Beach. Yeah, I've heard uh, that's amazing. I've heard the, I mean, you yeah, If you go online and you look at the course, it. it shows you a hole by hole. It's, it's amazing. So yeah. I would say that, you know, I've played enough courses in the States. I'd like to go England, Scotland, Ireland. I'd like to go play some courses over there. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Well, I've not talked to one person that I have. I'm in the southern England part of it. I have not done the Scotland one yet. But every person you talk to who loves golf that goes to Scotland is just, they can't wait to get back, right? And I also heard, like, the coolest thing you can do, if you can get on there, is go to Muirfield, and you can play in their, like, money game in the afternoon. With the no way. Like, yeah, I heard it was, like, the coolest experience ever. You do lunch, like a proper lunch, and then you go out play in, like, afternoon match and, like, turn it shot for one nine and if you're lucky enough to get in there i've heard like that exp- just to hang out at muirfield like as a member for a day wow oh god i gotta get over there at some point in time. Awesome. i know i gotta uh we were thinking about this year but obviously it's all you know looking at maybe this fall but it's probably not going to happen with travel restrictions but i want to get over there i'm with you i want to get over there before i'm too damn old and the skill set goes away and i'm you know hitting seven wood from 170 yards i want to try to over that if i can so yeah. I'm with you on that Here one. Well, well, thank you so much, man. I've been looking forward to this. Um, hope we see some bowling back, uh, you know, in all sports there. And stay healthy and keep working the game a little bit. And, uh, you know, we'll be intact. Thanks, Jay. Uh, as always, uh, the clubs are wonderful. I shot 69 last week on uh, Thursday. Uh, so another sub-70 round with, uh, with my irons. Uh, love the sticks. Uh, get a lot of comments on it. Hey, what are those? That's uh, pretty cool. And uh, I think you guys are doing great stuff up there in Illinois. And uh, keep up the great work. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for uh, making some great equipment, bro. Uh, 